the choices Jesus makes in this story we read, this, this uh, entry into Jerusalem reading, the choices Jesus are, is making, are making here are very purposeful. Coming down toward Jerusalem from, from Bethany and Bethpage, which, which is uh, just a few miles outside of, of the city of Jerusalem. It's essentially a suburb of Jerusalem. It's where Lazarus lived, incidentally. You, you remember that story of Lazarus. And it's the way of getting to Jerusalem without going through the land of Samaria. That's why Jesus is going this way in the first place. We know that uh, Jews have no dealings. We, we read this before. Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and so they go the long way around uh, to get into Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus is doing, following the normal, usual route to get to Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, he directs his disciples to bring him a donkey for the ride down the mountain. And the reason that Jesus does this, as I said, is very purposeful. It's why the people are praising. They're praising and celebrating and shouting for joy for what they think they're about to see. Because when they see him riding down the side of the mountain on a donkey, it means something very specific to these people. It means something specific because there was a tradition for them that when a king would come into the city, he would come on the back of a donkey. And so when they see Jesus, they see king. And so they're praising and shouting for what they think they're about to see. Jesus to become their king. Jesus to become their rescuer. Jesus finally to expel the Romans and, and bring them back to power over their land. They're praising for what they think they're about to see. They're excited for that stuff, but, but Luke says also they're excited and celebrating for the things that they've already seen. They were praising God, he says, for all the miracles they had seen. The incredible ways that Jesus had been working among them. Ways we've been reading about all year long as we approach once more this Easter season. Healing those who are sick and feeding those who are hungry, giving sight to people who are blind and hearing to people who are deaf, even raising people from the dead, bringing new life. But beyond those actions, all the words of comfort, the words of peace, the words of encouragement that they've heard from Jesus all these years, now three years He's been doing this, and for all of this, for everything they've seen, they're praising and celebrating and excited. And those things, those examples of Jesus being at work, those are the same things we've been encouraging you to notice in your life. Jacob and Sam and I have been working through this these last weeks. have been encouraging you in the same ways to notice what Jesus has been doing among you. And I hope and I pray that you have been noticing these things. Okay, you have. That's good. <laughs> I, hope, I hope and I pray that you've been noticing Jesus at work on your behalf. In the lives of other people you're connected with who don't yet know him as well. But as we wrap this up this week, I want to ask this question. As we, as we sit here in this time of celebration this time of praise and joy for what Jesus has been doing. And as, as we've looked uh, for weeks now for what Jesus is doing among us, here's the question that came in my mind this week. What, what if you haven't noticed it? What if you haven't noticed it? Not that you didn't try. Maybe you have tried. You've done everything we asked, but 
you can't find much to celebrate. Or you don't notice much that seems like Jesus being at work. Not a lot that looks like that other stuff that we talked about. Not finding much healing, not finding much, much comfort, not finding much peace. Some of you are, even today, in that moment where you're, you're waiting for test results to come back and there's anxiety and there's fear there. Or maybe they already have and, and sometimes the anxiety increases. Or you're, you're watching someone that you care about go downhill and their death seems imminent. Some of you here today are on the verge of being homeless. Losing your home, I had three of those conversations just this week with our neighbors. Or maybe stress and a busy schedule have gotten in the way of seeing Jesus because stress and, and busyness and more work than there is time has become the norm for you. Maybe you're having, starting to have a hard time knowing why you should go on when none of this seems to be getting any better. I had that conversation this week a couple times too. For all of us, we, we look around and we see that rents are increasing and, 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 and living standards are going down sometimes and political conversations seem to be getting much more bitter and much more divided and, and the weak are being taken, taken advantage of. We see worsening division, a growing gap between those who have and those who, who have not. Some of us marched in Harlem this week for that exact reason. In other words, if you've been saying more like Matthew records, Hosanna, Lord save us, then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you've been crying out for, for saving more than you have praising for what you're seeing, that's okay. It's understandable even. If your situation is such that you you're crying out, Lord, save me. That's okay. First, I want to say that, that God can be at work even in, in things that are really miserable, right? If that's all you're seeing, sometimes the two are, are the same, that God can be at work there. In fact, that's His promise to us. Uh, Romans chapter 8, He says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Even the stuff that's really, really hard. But let me point something else out to you. All of, this, all of this praising and, and celebration and expectation of a new king, it happens where? It happens as Jesus is coming down into Jerusalem. And I don't want to make too much of that, but here's what I want to say. As Jesus is coming down into Jerusalem, even, even now, even in this moment, this moment of celebration, Jesus is already heading downhill. He's already going downhill. And that's certainly always the, the pattern of his, his ministry throughout the Gospels, isn't it? Baptism, thank you. <laughs> we see in, in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, we see his baptism, right? And the Spirit comes down as a dove, and there's this voice from heaven, this incredible moment of God speaking to His Son, and then where does He go? 
into the wilderness, into the desert, driven there to be tempted by the devil. So we see from this incredible high to an incredible difficulty. Later on, he goes up on the mountain with two of his disciples, the, the, the event that we know as his transfiguration. And his clothes become dazzling bright white, and once again we see God speaking to him, and, and these heavy weights of Old Testament uh, scriptures come to him, Elijah and Moses, and he's having this incredible moment there on the mountain, and then he goes back down the side of the mountain into an argument about a demon. Now we see the same thing. In the space of seven days... We'll see that pattern repeat itself once more. Here we are at Palm Sunday, right? A day of celebration, a day of, of joy. And a week from now, an even bigger celebration as we, we celebrate resurrection and, and victory over sin and death and hopelessness. But to get there, to get there from one high to the other, we have to go through betrayal and arrest, trial and torture and humiliation and death. Between those two mountain peak moments, a deep valley. And what a blessing it is. What a blessing that is to us. That, that our God, who chose to put on flesh and walk among us, chose to do it in this way, with mountaintops, but also with deep valleys. Here's why. A Messiah who was sort of a rising star, whose trajectory was only ever up, uh, that wouldn't be very much use to us, would it? A Messiah who only ever went from good to better to best, who never had any struggles or, or stumbles or setbacks, wouldn't be much use to us because that's not how your life works, is it? That's not your experience. Life, all of our lives, yours and mine and everybody's, is a, is a mix of highs and, and lows and pra praises and sadness, a mix of light and darkness, hope and then despair triumphs and stumbles and overcoming and then giving in a mix of victory and defeat of hills and valleys right just like we talked about with jesus our life is a mix of those those highs and the lows the hills and the valleys and here here's the thing that's so important to keep in mind that your valley walking god makes you a promise in those valleys say it with me lo though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have anointed my head with oil. And that's a baptism reference, isn't it? Maybe you didn't know. But you've anointed my head with oil. That's a baptism reference. Anointing someone's head with oil in the Old Testament represents sealing a promise. Sealing a promise about that person in the, in the same way. In the same way, in baptism, God seals that promise to you to walk along beside you in those valleys, that you will not struggle alone. And there's a, there's a community here with you, ready to, ready to do the same for you. So if you're here for the first time, or you're here for the first time in a long while, make it not the last time, because this is a community of people who, who is ready and willing to enact that promise. That says, thank you. I was going to tell you make it so, but you already have. <laughs> Back to the question, though. What to do when you can't find many reasons to shout praises like these people on the road? When you can't notice much Jesus work, what do you do there? For that, I want to direct you back to the song that we started our service with. Uh, turn back to page one for me in your service folder, if you would. And maybe you noticed this uh, little note that's at the bottom of the page. If you didn't, don't worry, I'll talk you through it. 
I learned this this past week, and it's fascinating. This song that we sing every year, All Glory, Laud, and Honor, it turns out it's part of a, a much longer poem, 39 verses in this poem. We have five. But this is part of a 39-verse poem uh, written in the year 820 by the Fr a French bishop by the name of Theodolphe of Orleans. And Theodolphe of Orleans had been removed from his position, he'd been deposed from his role as bishop um, by the Holy Roman Emperor. Really, really quickly, the Holy Roman Emperor uh, was a political ruler of the church. When the, the Roman Empire uh, fell apart, then the Catholic Church, what became, well, we know it as the Catholic Church, sort of stepped in, in the western uh, half of the empire, stepped in and, and began to take things over, and eventually the Pope uh, crowned a, a secular ruler, an emperor, for the empire. And so the Holy Roman Emperor is the secular ruler of, of what's left of the Roman Empire. This person comes on the, the job and, and deposes, puts aside Theodolf of Orleans, puts him actually under house arrest. He had been, been, supported, uh, been suspected of supporting a rival to the throne. So the emperor uh, took him out of his position, put him under house arrest, and yet still he was able to write this poem, All glory, all law, that means praise, all praise, all honor to Jesus the King. He's able to do this praising we see, even, even when there doesn't seem to be much, much to be happy about, right? When it would be hard to see Jesus working, still he's able to, to sing praise and glory and honor to Jesus. So the question is, what does, what does Theodolf know that allows him to keep on praising? That might help us in our moments when it's hard to see. And I think Jesus gives a clue. He gives a clue to that when he's arguing with the religious leaders. When they tell him to, to quiet the crowd, and again, Matthew tells us why it's so important to them that Jesus quiet down the crowd. Uh, the people are calling Jesus, Matthew records it, they're calling him the son of David. They're calling him son of David, right? The very person the Jews have been waiting for. That's the Old Testament name. Son of David is the Old Testament name for the one that God promised to send, the one who's, who's going to be the ruler, the one these leaders don't want to acknowledge because if he's the ruler, it means they can't be anymore. And so when the religious leaders hear this and they want Jesus to stop his disciples from saying it, they want him to silence the crowd. But Jesus says the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. In other words, if the praising doesn't come from the mouths of these people, God will just bring it from the stones. Now, would he really have made rocks speak? Would it have sounded like human words? I don't know. But the point seems to be, God will find a way to get what he wants. His plan marches on. His plan marches on. When your praising goes quiet because you can't see much around you to praise, because by all appearances Jesus isn't doing much, isn't doing the things he said he would do, when you're in that valley and you can't find the words to praise, God's plan marches on. That's the assurance, I think, that gives a person like Theodolf the strength to write his poem of praise. And it's the assurance for you too. The assurance that it might be dark now. 
And there might be sadness now. Maybe, maybe you've stumbled at this moment and, and given in to something and maybe you've been defeated just now. Maybe there's despair right now and you might be in a valley now, but God's plan marches on. It's happening. Even if at the moment you can't be a part of it or you're not seeing it, it's happening. God's plan marches on and that means, that means highs are coming and victory is coming and, and new life is coming and light is coming and hills are coming where there are valleys now. You'll arrive at the other side of the valley. That's the assurance for you. And so let that be your strength. Let that be your hope. Cling to it. Look to it. When you, when you want to close your eyes and quiet your voice because it starts to look like there, there isn't much Jesus there, let that hope restore your strength and open your eyes again and re-engage you to look for and notice and even respond to where he's working, as he promised by the way that he would be. In all those painful, discouraging moments, hard as they might be, Jesus is there, right where he said he would be, doing exactly what he said he would do, bringing something new. Where all of that is, is fixed. And revealing a little bit of it, a little preview of it, preparing people little by little to see that revelation of the new kingdom. He's doing what he said he would do. And that's where you and I come in. That's where you and I have an opportunity to be a part of all of this. Five daily practices you can take up each day that will help you open your eyes and see where Jesus is working. It will tune your eyes and tune your heart for this. You can take part by looking for, for where he might be in situations just like these. By spending time in his word where he does promise to speak to you. Talking with people who don't yet know him. And doing good where you have the chance to. And then by being in prayer with and for those who need to see him. So looking for where he might be. Spending time in his word, talking with people who don't yet know him, doing good where we can, and then being in prayer for all of this. Five things we can do each day to help us see the thing that Jesus promises. To see the anguish and the injustice and the fear and the pain, not as places where God is not, but as fertile ground where he is, as he promised he would be, doing what he said he would, as his plan marches on. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Take 30 seconds, if you would, and reflect on that from what you have heard this morning, what's Jesus asking you or inviting you to believe or do differently this week. <laughs>